to those that may be newer to the family, we, we started this church, Megan and I moved here with our kids in, in 2012, and, and uh, in 2012, uh, we had this vision to plant a church, and, and it took about three years to really work through what that was going to look like in Lawrenceville when we launched. And uh, in those early years as an idealistic church planter, I would, I would frequently go to places like Panera or Starbucks and just write out all the things that God was laying on my heart. And, you know, the vision was big and broad and wide. And, and, and initially when I thought, you know, we should call this church New City Church, uh, my, my thought was this, that we're, that we're going to bring something new to the city of Lawrenceville. And then, you know, God has his way of uh, humbling you often. And so I was sitting in Panera, and there were these two guys that are good friends of mine named Alan and Dan. And we were, we were, they, were, they, were they weren't friends of mine at that time, but we were, I was sitting next to them at Panera, and I'm writing all this out, thinking, yeah, New City Church, here's what we're going to come and do. We're going to come, and we're going to preach the full gospel to the city. It's going to lead to the underserved being served. It's going to lead to cross uh, to uh, diverse cross-sections of people gathering together to worship Jesus. And then uh, kind of over my sh- shoulder, I hear these guys, like, line by line, talking about how those things are already happening in Lawrenceville. And it was at that moment that I realized something that we've seen since we started the church, and it's this. That, uh, that we are joining God's work that he started 2,000 years ago when Jesus came, uh, died, was buried, resurrected, that the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing in the world. Amen? And it's going to forcefully continue to advance. So New City Church, what we want to do is we want to build our lives around what matters most. And Jesus said that what matters most on this earth is that his kingdom would come to earth. And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So what is the kingdom of God? Here's how I'm going to define it this morning. The Jesus Storybook Bible has this really beautiful definition of it too. It's, it's everywhere Jesus is king. But, but here's a little bit more of a nuanced definition. The kingdom of God is God's reign through his people in his places through Jesus. God's reign through his people, the church, in his places, the world, through Jesus Christ. So that, that's, that's, I think, a holistic view of what the kingdom of God is. God's people are his instruments to bring about his rule and his reign in a broken and distorted world. And this is why there's a, there's a story of the church in the Bible. It's, it's found in the book of Acts. So uh, I'm just going to read a couple verses from the book of Acts. I'm going to start reading from chapter 1 and then chapter 28, which is the last chapter in the book. Acts 1-3 says this about the kingdom. He presented himself, he's talking, uh, Luke is writing about Jesus. He presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. The book of Acts, the story of the church, ends like this, Acts 28, 30 and 31. It ends with Paul proclaiming the same kingdom. There's been a handoff from Jesus to Paul. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. And listen to this. Proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. In a sense, every church and every Christian on the face of the planet, since those words were penned, have been writing the 29th chapter of the book of Acts. The church, the story, the, the kingdom domain of King Jesus is ever advancing through his church. And this is why uh, Jesus says this to his disciples in the upper room. He says, John 14, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me 
will also do the works that I do. And not only will he do the works, but greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. So what New City Church has always desired to become is to be a church full of kingdom ambassadors that serve on behalf of Jesus to advance his causes in his kingdom, in his places in the world through his people. That's, that's what we're after. And, and that's why we planted a church. We didn't plant a church because Gwinnett County needed another church. Atlanta needed another church. There's lots of great churches here. We planted a church because we had this conviction, this burden that we couldn't shake, that church planting is like planting a colony of heaven on earth. And isn't that what we've seen over the last six years? Isn't that what we're going to see over the next six years? Is the colony of heaven overtaking this place on earth? And so all of us who've been a part of this work have, we've had the influence, we've felt the influence of the enemy through hardship that we've suffered in, in our families, through affliction, through suffering, and through our lives in other ways. But, but what we're seeing is Jesus continue to be victorious in his rule and reign in our lives personally and corporately through our church. The vision of this church was birthed out of that conviction that the kingdom of God would come on earth as it is in heaven. And not only that, that the kingdom of God would come on, uh, in Lawrenceville as it is in heaven. In Lawrenceville as it is in heaven. Very specifically, God wants to bring his kingdom. And that's why Jesus tells us to pray like he does. Because our hearts and our lives and our thoughts need to be aligned to his purposes. And if they're not aligned, we might miss the kingdom all around us. That's exactly what happened with the Pharisees. That's what, that's what led Jesus to weep in Matthew 21. Is that so many people claim to get the kingdom, claim to be looking for the king, and they missed him. And my heart for this church and our desire is that we wouldn't miss him. So let's look at the Lord's Prayer one more time together. And we're going to be really focusing and honing in on that third and fourth position, uh, petition of the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But let me, let me read the whole thing for us real quick here. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Jesus uh, taught his disciples to pray like this. He said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but to deliver, deliver us from the evil one. So let me just kind of go through here real quick, high level, and, and, and talk about these petitions. Because they're so crucial. As Brandon was saying earlier, first we pray to our Father who is in heaven, who has a sacred name. And when we pray, we have to remember that we have this Father in heaven that loves us. Because if we forget that we have this Father in heaven that loves us, we will pray for the wrong kingdom every single time. That's just the way that it is. He's not abandoned us. We're not orphans. We have a secure place in the family forever. And we pray from that place of security when we seek his face. And it and it changes the kingdom that we ask for, the kingdom that we ultimately end up advancing with our lives. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is, is in heaven. So, Lord, because you are in heaven and we are on earth, you love us and want to change us to be more like you. You've, you've sent Jesus and the Spirit to bring more of heaven to earth, for heaven to invade earth through your church. So, so do this in our hearts, in our relationships, and 
And even in our city, in the places that you've called us, because we know that Acts 17 says that you've predetermined the boundaries of our dwelling places, that you and I are not here in, at this time in this place on accident. God, God planned it before he made anything. That's, that's what we know. And, and you love us so much that you invite us to participate in this kingdom that you're building. And not only that, Lord, we have needs. Give us this day our daily bread. So Lord, because you have all provision and you care for us, it's not good for us to desire more than what we need for today. In the American church, we really need to hear this. It's not good for us to desire more than what we need for today because it causes us to trust ourselves. So he teaches us to pray in such a way where our needs today are met. So when your children, you know, think about the future, he's saying, it causes them to fall into idolatry and to advance the wrong kingdom. So we shouldn't pray for more than today. Forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. So because our hearts can become calloused in this world as we experience difficulties, we experience strife, as we experience the pain of, of thorns, right? As we, we experience the fall in our lives. The only thing that can keep us from building bridges instead of walls is the forgiveness that we find from Jesus. And we will build walls every single time if we don't live as those who have already been forgiven. That's why our Father sent Jesus to forgive us so we could be made whole. And lastly, he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So what's he saying here? Don't, don't forget that you have a Father in heaven who loves you and is ruling and reigning in and through you and his people. But there's also this kingdom of darkness, one that you can't see, one that you are, are tempted to kind of brush off as some kind of kind of picturesque Hollywood kind of movie thing. But there's this, there's this dominion of darkness that still has influence in this world. And the only place that we find protection from that is in Jesus. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to really focus in on that third and fourth petition. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I want to just share with you our vision as a church. And it's this. We exist to live as the family of God together proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another and our city. I just want to break it down in basically two big points. What's it mean to live like family? What's it mean to learn to live like family? And then what's it mean to proclaim and demonstrate the gospel to one another in our city? So let's dig into that. Learning, learning to live as the family of God together. You know, living as God's family doesn't come natural to us because every one of us start... Um, we kind of start in a deficit in every single way. Original sin has leveled the playing fields of our hearts. No one's better. <laughs> no one has an advantage. But in particularly, how we think about relationships, specifically family, is really broken. Family can be painful. It can be, it can be too much. And it's, it's no surprise to the many of you that know me personally that I grew up with a different view of family than what God designed for me. Many of you have grown up with a similar story. When I was a uh, when I was a was, I was a younger kid, my, my family had a lot of brokenness, dysfunction in it. And by God's grace, you know, I, I can look back now and say, Lord, I'm thankful that you knew better than I did, because there were some moments that I experienced pain, and I began to look at my family of origin and the things that were going on, and and how it really impacted how I view family today, and specifically how I view my Father in heaven and His children on earth. 
that when I became a believer, the Lord started setting some of that stuff right. Started allowing me to open my heart so I could actually trust people and not just hide from them. To be real and not just fake, you know, and, and this, this, this saying, this metaphor or whatever is not really going to work. Wearing a mask all the time, right? Because wearing a mask is like, anyway, but so you know what I'm saying. It's just, I just lived like that so much of my life. But, you know, here's, here's how sin specifically distorted my heart, especially when I was becoming a Christian, is that it, be, it became incredibly difficult to receive love. Incredibly difficult to receive love. And, you know, I'm not sure how it completely came about, but if, if someone were to tell me that they loved me, I just thought, okay, I did something for them and they like me because I served them in some way. It, it, it became incredibly difficult for me to receive unconditional love, especially in the face of my sin. And, uh, and then I became a pastor and everything got better. Not. Then I began to minister as a pastor talking about God's unconditional love, yet not understanding it, not receiving it. And you know what the scriptures say? You can't give away something that you don't have. This is why Jesus' best friend on earth wrote this. He said, we love because he first loved us. We just read through that in 1 John over the last 16 weeks. And it really makes so much sense when you think about it that only by the miraculous intervention of the Holy Spirit will you and I be able to feel and know the love of God that is not based on conditions. And, you know, the quality of the love that you receive really determines the quality of the love that you extend. Now, I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, you can extend behaviors that look like love, right? You can give gifts. You can show up in people's lives. You can do all of those things. You can say words that sound like love. You can say, I love you till you're blue in the face. But there's just one thing you can't really do if you don't experience the unconditional love of God, and that's love like Jesus. You just can't do it. And I've been on a journey for the past eight years of learning how to receive love. And that's where the vision of this church was birthed out of. You know, planning a church is incredibly personal. In some ways, you could say that every church is the same that believes in the gospel, that is orthodox. But in other ways, every church is unique because of the people that make up that church and the place and the context that that church is birthed. And, and, over, the, and over the last eight years, um, I've been learning to love and learning to love without condition. And, and that's really why our vision is to live as the family of God. I mean, that's a vision in the church, but really, because there's only, only one place that a family of God can flourish, and that's from a place of unconditional love. One of the ways that God kind of broke into my life to let me experience his love was he, he brought this, uh, this older man into my life named Jeff, a uh, wonderful friend of mine, wonderful man. He's probably he's mid-70s now, and he just started meeting with me every single week, and and. At first, I was like, I don't want to meet. Like, I don't want to do this. Like, you're a great guy, but, you know, I got to get busy doing the Lord's work, right? Uh, we got to plant this church. And, uh, and he just would come into my office every week, and he would, he would read scriptures to me, and he would say, son, I love you. And I would get incredibly uncomfortable, <laughs> and I would want to leave. Uh, and I would start to tear up, and I would choke it off, and I would change the subject. 
So that happened for about three months. Next three months, next six months, I start kind of letting in into my life a little bit and, and experiencing what it's like for God's love to come through someone else uh, to me in an unconditional way. And he shared something with me that uh, really shaped the vision of this church. Um, and um, it's something that the Father said to Jesus when he baptized him. And here's what he said, um, Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. When Jesus was baptized immediately, he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens opened up to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven, his Father, said to his son Jesus, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And what is so interesting about this is that Jesus is baptized. He hasn't really done a lot of stuff. He did the thing in the temple when he was 12, right? And, you know, got lost. And, but we don't really know much about Jesus' life until he was 30. What we do know is that he probably spent a lot of time in his dad's carpenter shop. He probably didn't spend much time healing people, you know. Probably didn't spend much time teaching the word. This is before Jesus had anything to prove. His father said, I love you. It's my son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, I get what you're, you're probably thinking like, I think, okay, it's Jesus, it's his only son, I get it, that's great. But what about me? Well, this is our reality. Because we are children of God through the Spirit, the Father, he declares the same thing over our life. This is my beloved son, this is my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. I don't care what you did yesterday, what you're going to do tomorrow, this is your reality as my child. And we know that because Romans 8 says there's something that happens when the Spirit of God comes into our life. And it's this. He says this, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. In church, God has no grandchildren. He doesn't have grandchildren. He doesn't have stepchildren. He only has children. And if he only has children and we are hidden in his son, Jesus, as Colossians 3 says, what that means for us is this, is that he declares the same reality over our lives every single day that we wake. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. And they are so well-pleasing to me. I'm so proud of them. They are my children. So living as the family of God has little to do with what you accomplish in the kingdom. Living as the family of God has little to do with what this church might accomplish in this community. Living as the family of God has everything to do with who your father is. Because the kind of love that God gives can only be expressed through family, his church. That's what he calls us. Family doesn't really, I know a lot of times people come to our church because it's a smaller church and they're like, you know, it feels like family. And they say it because it's small. But really, I mean, if we're doing what God wants us to do here and we're planning a, a deep, rich work here, it should multiply. It should grow. Healthy things grow. My thought is this, is that the size of the family doesn't determine the quality of the love in the family, okay? You hear me? So what that means is, is that the love that we receive from the Father as we are being discipled, as we are, as we are living like family, prioritizing one another, living, living together in unity, that, that we send this out. So, so how do we know as, if we're living as the family of God? What would those evidences look like for us? I just have a few thoughts on that. Maybe you've got more, but... I think we would see ourselves as deeply loved and rescued people from the fatal flaws of our sin. And what that would mean is, is that we wouldn't be ashamed to call ourselves sinners. Because there's only, 
Only sinners are forgiven. You know what that does whenever you let it be known that you've got some flaws in who you are? Is it puts down the guard and welcomes the family in to experience the grace, to taste the meal of grace. You know, we would consider other people and love them at all costs, in all ways, serving and loving people that can do nothing for us in return. We might prioritize one another because we see that if, if we really value this idea of the family of God, that we ought to show up on each other's calendars, that we ought to show up in each other's lives at significant events and insignificant events, that it ought to be inconvenient to live as the family of God, that maybe we might get together outside of Sunday, that we wouldn't run from each other when offense or sin occurs because we know it's going to come. But instead, we'd be prepared to lean in because we know what Peter said, that love covers, what, a multitude of sins. I think those are just some of the vignettes that we might experience if we really believed that we could live as the family of God together in this community. And it would be a diverse family because <laughs> uh, sin has touched us all, and God's love has the potential to touch us all through the church. Second thing is this, just that we might live as the family, but what will we do as the family? That we'd proclaim and demonstrate the gospel of grace to one another in the church and in our city. So in here, what happens in here goes out there. So proclaiming the gospel to one another in our city. Let me just say this, that every person on the face of the planet is living out of some type of a kingdom narrative, what they believe their kingdom to be, what kingdom they see themselves in and what kingdom uh, they're, they're trying to advance. You know, it's a story that you find yourselves in. It could be, you know, a story of a victim. Like, this happened to me, and therefore I'm never going to get hurt again. You know, it, 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 could be, it could be any kind of story, what you, you find yourself in. It, it could be, you know, you could live in a kingdom of materialism. It's really common for us. We can't even see it, right? You know, the, the good news of materialism is this, is that if you could just get enough, maybe it'll fill up that hole inside of you. That if you could just have enough experience and stuff and retirement money, then maybe, maybe my soul will be full. Maybe then I'll find love and joy and, and peace and, and contentment. And see, what happens is when you live in a kingdom, you'll exhibit behaviors that evidence the kingdom that you see yourselves in, right? So if you're living in a kingdom of materialism, you're pursuing it with everything, you won't be able to afford to give anything away. Because everything is aimed at advancing that kingdom. You'll never be able to sacrifice anything. It'll be so painful because you're living in that kingdom. But the, the good news of the kingdom of God is different than any other kingdom narrative. And, and here's why. That in every other kingdom narrative, the problem exists with those people out there. So if I can just not be like those people out there, then I can experience wholeness and peace. But the kingdom of God starts with you and your greatest problem, which is how your heart has been distorted and lost through sin. That's where the kingdom of God begins. And that's why the Pharisees couldn't see it because they were looking for all these evidences everywhere and Jesus was right in their midst, preaching gospel to their heart. 1 Corinthians 15, clearest, most concise definition of the gospel. Paul says, for I deliver to you as of first importance, the main thing right here, what I also received from Jesus, 
that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So that's what the gospel is. It's a message of the kingdom. That the only, it's the only news that acknowledges the fact that we are weak and vulnerable people that need to be rescued from ourselves. It's the only news that does. That Christ had to die because I've been living for my own kingdom. And if you never get to that place in your walk with the Lord, you don't see the, the, the ways that you've been building your own kingdom, you'll, you'll deceptively be, be kind of playing lip service to this kingdom, the kingdom of God, and still on the side building your own kingdom. And that, that's the deception that we face as those uh, that, that are not yet made whole, right? And uh, my friend Randy describes the gospel like this, like this. It's really helpful. He says this, God made it all. We lost it all. Jesus did it all, and we get it all. That's the, that's the kingdom. That's the gospel. That is what, that's what we're called to advance, is that, that God made everything so good. We forget this. We, we see the sin, but we forget that God made everything so good. And to advance the kingdom is to see the Holy Spirit setting things right that have been wronged by sin. And that's what the church is doing. But this message isn't just for those people out there. The gospel is not just to be declared to those outside the church. And I think a lot of times we get this wrong. We think the gospel is just for conversion, right? We, we think it's just to kind of get us in the door, and then we can, we can go on from there. But Paul says something so interesting in Ephesians 3.8. He, uh, he says this in Ephesians 3.8, that the gospel is, is really, the way he describes it, he says, the unsearchable. To me, I am the very least of all the saints, the grace that was given to me to preach to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Listen to that phrase again. The gospel is the unsearchable riches of Christ. I was meeting with a, a young man about 10 years ago when we lived in Indiana, and, and he said, you know, Ryan, you always, just, you always talk about the gospel. Can we move? Paul says move from you know, the milk to the meat. And uh, I remember quoting this verse to him and saying, brother, we haven't even scratched the surface. If you think that you have scratched the surface of understanding the gospel, you have no clue. Because the depths of the riches of God's love are unsearchable. They're unsearchable. And for us, as the church, it sanctifies us the more that we look at it like this multifaceted diamond. And as we gather together as God's people, as God's family, we press it into each other's life through speaking the truth in love. Because we are different people day in, day out. We need the, God, we need the different facets of the gospel every day. And Paul says that they're unsearchable. Is the gospel unsearchable to you this morning? Are its depths unminable? Or is it just a ticket to the game for you? It's a real question for us to ask. Paul said this in Romans 1. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. It's the only way to live in the kingdom. It's the only way to come into the kingdom. It's the door that everyone must enter. And because Jesus, because, because Christians can't get to the bottom of the unsearchable depths of the gospel, we find ourselves enthralled with it when we're in a good spot, right? 
And, uh, and we realize that Jesus actually does love us and that that actually means something to my life today. And, uh, and it gives us joy and it gives us life and it gives us the fruit of the Spirit. And as we live lives with friends and family that are maybe living out of a different kingdom narrative, we're reminded of the unsearchable riches of Jesus and how he fills us with all good things, no matter what happens in life. And we begin to share that with other people because we, we say this at New City often, but we talk about what we're taken with. And what that means is, is that the kingdom that you're ultimately about is gonna, it's gonna seep through your conversations. You're gonna find it in your Google search, right? In your history, right? You're gonna, you're gonna see it surface in the conversations that you have. And when you are enthralled with the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ, it's gonna come out no matter where you're at. It doesn't matter if you're at work. It doesn't matter if you're in the cul-de-sac with your neighbor. You're gonna be taken with Christ and people are gonna hear about him. And this was the, just the vision that we would have that evangelism wouldn't be this just rote, mechanical, diagram-driven kind of process, but it would be life for the church. That we couldn't, as, as, uh, as the book of Acts chapter four says, that, we, that we'd be such, such as this, that we wouldn't be able to help but speak of what we've seen and heard in Jesus. That's what they said about Peter and John in Acts four. That they couldn't help it. The Sanhedrin said, y'all gotta shut this thing down. They said, we can't help it, guys. That that would be who we are, that, that proclaiming the gospel would be like breathing for the church. And for those that are on the outside of the church, we know that it's got to be proclaimed to them because here's how God works. Here's how God saves people. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So if you want to see your neighbor saved, you want to see your family member saved, tell them the gospel. They're not going to get saved any other way. They have to hear the gospel. And that's why if we live as the family of God, as God has intended, the gospel is going to come out. Because we're just mining these unsearchable riches as lost sinners that have been saved by grace. So we got to ask ourselves, how often is the gospel on our lips? How often does the good news of Jesus actually come out of my mouth? I bet there's a direct correlation by how often that comes out of my mouth and how many people are saved. What do you think? I think so. I think so. And this isn't to beat anybody up. But guys, the world is hurting. I think a lot of times we try to convince ourselves and convince others that they're kind of caught in sin. The pandemic's done that for us, right? I mean, everybody knows the world's a mess. Everybody's primed, right, to hear the good news of the gospel and to see it not only proclaimed, that's one piece of it, but also demonstrated through your life. Here's what Ephesians 2.10 says. Ephesians 2.10 says, and this is after... You know, Paul's declared like the, the mystery of the gospel, right? That we were dead and he made us alive by faith through grace. And he says this in verse 10. He talks about what that produces in us. He says, for we are his workmanship. That word is the same word that we get poem from. Where is poem? Where is creation? Where is art? Created in Christ Jesus. We've been recreated in Christ Jesus. We've been born again in Christ Jesus. For what? For good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them as his people. So we're reborn in Jesus through faith so that we can bring glory to his name, working out the kingdom in tangible ways in this world. So not only proclaiming it, but showing the fruit of good news. 
And this is the whole reason why this church is actually named New City Church, is that, guys, there is a lot of great churches that proclaim the gospel faithfully. And there's a lot of churches that seek to do the things the gospel calls us to do, but they don't proclaim it faithfully. So what would it, be, what would it look like to be a church that actually is rich in faith and word, but also in deed and action? What would that look like, right? Would well, have to be a church that was embedded in its community, knew its city, right? It had to be a church that was committed to the most vulnerable people in its community, the people that, that are aware of their brokenness, the, the ones that can't hide it up with their bank accounts and other things like that, right? It had to be committed to those uncomfortable relationships where that become comfortable because you see that we all have the same color blood, right? We all, we all have the same issues no matter how we can cover it up. New City Church is called New City Church because the kingdom of God begins in the garden. You know where it ends? In a city, right? The New Jerusalem. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 21, the kingdom of God is swelling and advancing. And because we have the Holy Spirit at this time, the age of the church, there are things that God is building in his kingdom right now through people's hearts that will last forever. There, is, there are conversations that you can have today that will last forever. We are building the new Jerusalem now. Sure, it will, it's going to fully come in the future, but as theologians called it, we have this view of an, an inaugurated eschatology. So the, the end of time is kind of broken. That's what Matthew 6 says. When you pray, pray that, pray that heaven would invade earth. Pray that heaven would, so, you, you, so we live in this tension of, of the already, the things that Jesus has come and done and given us his spirit, they're already done, we're justified, we're adopted, we're converted, you know, we've, we've got the promise. But we also live in this other set of the not yet, of what's yet to be done in this world. And God wants to use this church and every other church to bring about those things if they'll obey him. Over the last five and a half years, I've seen this church proclaim and demonstrate the gospel to one another in our city so many ways. It's, uh, it's when a group of people hears about a new church and they were going to move out of town and they said, you know what? All of our neighbors are moving out, but we want to stay. We actually want to stay on purpose. We believe that God's called us here, not just to a more comfortable place with neighbors that look like us. I've seen the kingdom come in those ways. Because only called people stay when it gets hard. I've seen a, a, a young man that I mentor break out of the cycle of addiction and bondage that he was caught in that plagued all of his family. And it seemed flourishing to know the Lord now. I've seen a group of single people that this church, uh, that are part of this church, that choose to use their gift of singleness as a force for good in the kingdom. It's like what Paul said. It's when families open up their lives and their homes to orphans and refugees, extending the kingdom hospitality to the most vulnerable in our community. It's when a church fasts and prays for weeks for a teenage daughter whose life is on the line. It's when a family invites a homeless, vulnerable stranger into their house for six months because God called them to it. It's when an MC rallies around a family who can't afford a new car and they just buy them one. You're like, hey, let me get in that MC, right? 
It's when people show up consistently in the most vulnerable neighborhoods in our community to be used by God. And I could go on and on and on and on. I just don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss the invitations to see the kingdom of God advance. You know, there was this guy, this really, really religious, really um, important guy that came to Jesus at night one time in John chapter 3. His name's Nicodemus. He actually ended up becoming a follower of Jesus and knew Jesus and, and loved him. But he was confused in the beginning and he said, uh, uh, he was asking about Jesus and what he was doing and how he could he could kind of get on with that as well. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you in John 3, 3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Church, your friends that are not born again cannot see the kingdom of God. If you've got the Holy Spirit, you can see the kingdom of God. How often do we see it? How often do we see heaven invading earth through the normal, very ordinary situations around us. Augustine wrote in the city of God, God is always trying to give good things to us, but our hands are too full to receive them. Do you want to see the kingdom of God, church? We've got to live as the family of God. We've got to proclaim and demonstrate grace to one another in here so that it can go to those out there. Let's pray together. Father, I, I thank you that, uh, that you've saved us, that you've reconciled us to yourself, and you've called us to be ambassadors. Lord, we want, we want you to change us. We want you to make us more and more like Jesus today. And we just confess today that that sometimes it's really hard for us to see the kingdom of God, for you setting wrong things right through your people. And so, Lord, would you, would you humble us today that we might see the kingdom so that we can advance the kingdom? And would you teach our hearts to love, Lord, convinced that if we could receive your love and extend it to one another, that everything else would work out. Your kingdom would come because your love would be advanced through all the world. So Lord, help us to do that this morning. Help us to walk faithfully with you. With all that we are, it's in Jesus' name. Amen.